Uh, we are finishing up the friendship series today that we have been in. Uh, I want to thank Matt Coyne for doing an awesome job with weeks two and three uh, of this series. The timing of Matt's preaching could not have been more uh, of a God thing. Jared and I were supposed to be in Jamaica, and I took off for that, but uh, being home allowed me to take our kids to Miracle Mountain Ranch and be home uh, for my wife, who is not feeling well. I appreciate your continued prayers. Uh, the doctors have not found any answers yet. Uh, she continues to struggle to breathe and continues to lose weight. Uh, we have some appointments this week that we are hopeful that we will get some answers, uh, but I am thankful for the grace of God, and uh, he is faithful in every situation in life. I, I thank you for your continued prayers. Uh, I am pretty excited about next week because next week we're starting uh, what's becoming an annual tradition at New Stanton Church, and that is uh, a series on marriage. Uh, I'm going to preach a few messages about marriage. I'm going to title the series Love and Marriage. And no, I am not going to play the Al Bundy theme song during the, <laughs> during the series at all. Uh, unless I get ambushed by it by BJ or something. Uh, if you have ever been married, ever hoped to be married, or you know anything like that, I, I pray that this series is a blessing to you. Uh, this is the last week of the friendship series, and as I prepared this this past week, uh, I wrestled in my spirit because there's a there's a tension here that, that I think really kind of needs to exist, and we'll. We'll get into that more later, but I titled this message, Drop Them, and, and by the title, you can kind of figure out that it's about kind of clearing aside the relationships in your life that don't support your walk with God. But if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you realize that there's some tension in that statement. Jesus came for sinners. He came for the lost. So it's not, it's not real easy, simple, even maybe right to just drop people that we're supposed to be showing the love of Jesus to. Um, now, it's, it's easy if you're on Facebook, right? Uh, all of us have had one of those friends, right? Um, you, you know the friends that I'm talking about if you're on Facebook. Uh, they're the friends that post all the ignorant political stuff that you disagree with, uh, and you think, do I really want them? on my friends list, or the people that post on, on their wall and your wall some very colorful language, uh, and if you have kids that are old enough to have Facebook pages, you think, I don't want my kids seeing that, so I'm going to unfriend you just to protect them from seeing that, or the people that send you endless game requests on Facebook. All of us have had one of those friends. In fact, I'm going to take the opportunity to let you know something about myself, because I have the microphone. Um, I have never, ever, ever played a game on my cell phone. I don't have time to play games on my cell phone. So if you send me countless requests to play games from your account, I love you with the love of Jesus, but I will unfriend you in an instant if all you have time to do is send me game requests. It's easy to do on Facebook, isn't it? Unfriend someone. It's harder in real life, especially if the people are family. How many of you have ever unfriended someone on Facebook? Raise a hand. Don't point, don't point. 
If you pointed at your spouse, you need to come to the marriage series that starts next week. That's, I'm, just, I'm just putting a shameless plug in for that. But, but it's easy, isn't it? You, know, you, you see enough stuff, you see things, it's like, you know what, I don't wanna see that anymore, and you unfriend them. But it's difficult in real life. In some ways, I think social media has actually cheapened the word friend. And I also think that social media is changing the way we relate to one another because on social media, people get in more like disputes and arguments and they take each other to task in ways that you wouldn't do in person, but you do it on social media. But then when you see those individuals in person, you're like, ugh, you know, I know what left or right you stand on. I know what political party you're voting for, and I don't like, it changes the way we relate to people. The question is, how do we, how do we navigate that tension between showing people Jesus and having them as friends? We form opinions about people, and it affects how we relate to them in person. So I, I'm thinking that dropping people isn't the most Christian thing that we can do, that it's at some level, we still need to show people, even that we disagree with, even that are sinful, Jesus. So instead of dropping or unfriending people, I wanna talk to you this morning about maybe redefining some of your relationships in pursuit of God's best for your life. Because it's important because we need boundaries around our relationships. We've been saying all through this series that your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. Solomon said it best in Proverbs 13, 20. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. And I'm gonna guess that Proverbs, that proverb, is just as true for you as it has been for me. As I look back over the course of my life, the times that I got in trouble, I was in the company of fools. When the police knocked on my mom and dad's door, it was not because I acted alone. The truth is, I drove those fools. I drove my brother and his friends to buy eggs. I was the only one old enough to drive, so they naturally asked me. And then I drove them to their ex-girlfriend's house while they got out of the car and commenced with the egging. But I got to help clean up what those fools had done because the police got involved because they were easily identified as someone who might egg a house. And wouldn't you know it, the store clerk identified my brother who was wearing a green army jacket immediately. Associate with fools and you will get in trouble. I'm gonna guess that that proverb is just as true for you as it was for me. You have your own stories of getting in trouble while associating with fools. And when you got in trouble, you were in the company of fools. Maybe you were influenced by other people. Or maybe you were the one doing the influencing. Maybe somebody has a memory of you 
being the fool they were associating with at the time. Personally, I knew my brother and his friends were up to no good. I should have known better. I knew that my brother and his friends were not making scrambled eggs for someone. <laughs> I knew they were hotheads, and I knew they were making a bad decision, and the fools led me astray. A friend once told me that most trouble starts with a six-pack of beer and the phrase, watch this. Maybe, yeah, and all God's people said, amen. Uh, maybe that's part of your story and associating with fools. Proverbs 12, 26 speaks volumes. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Our friends determine the quality and the direction of our life. The truth is, all of us meet people by chance, if you're taking notes, but we choose the people we run with and that we hang with. Solomon, the author of Proverbs, says, choose carefully who you run with. If you choose poorly, you will be led astray. The verse for this morning uh, fits with all the verses that we've been looking at uh, during this series. It's 1 Corinthians 15.33, and it says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And here's, here's a truth you can take away from that verse and all the other verses we've been looking at. You can't live right when you have the wrong friends. You can't live right if you have the wrong friends. Let that, let that sink in a little bit. It is impossible to live right with the wrong friends because bad company corrupts good character. Choose your friends wisely. Now, some of you might be already kind of pushing back on this. You might think, be thinking, you know, this doesn't apply to me. My friends aren't really that bad. And I, the, the friends, the things that they do that are bad, I don't do those things. I am not like them. I'm different. Paul would tell you, do not be fooled. Bad company corrupts good character. You will be led astray. He would, he would wave this big red flag in front of your face and say, choose carefully because this is true. It's, a, it's as true as gravity. You can't live right with the wrong friends. Now, if, if we stopped right there, um, it, like I would proclaim, hey, everybody go home, drop all the friends that are leading you astray. If they're a bunch of sinners, get rid of them. But, but there's this tension because we're followers of Jesus. And Jesus came for the lost and the sick. Jesus hung around sinners. Jesus hung around people that this book calls notorious sinners, meaning everybody knew they were sinners, but Jesus still hung around them anyway. So what do we do? Do we, do we hang around people like that or do we stay away? How do we resolve the tension that exists? This book, you could make a case either way. The word of God says don't be married to an unbeliever. But it also says if you are, don't leave. It says don't hang around with people with a hot head that are easily angered because you will be led astray. But it also says seek and save the lost. How do we resolve this tension? Let me say there is always going to be this tension. 
And as a believer, you have to learn to manage this tension. If you don't guard your walk with Jesus, you will be led astray. But if you don't show people Jesus, you will fail at accomplishing your mission to make disciples of Jesus. We have to live with this tension, but we also have to put up boundaries and safeguards. Here's a good question to ponder. The three to five people that you are the closest with, that speak and you allow to speak into your life for wisdom, guidance, if you're having a problem, you pick up the phone and you call them. Are those three to five people believers? Are, are they solid in, your, in their faith? Do they give you godly counsel? Because bad company corrupts good character. And if, if your three to five closest inner circle friends aren't believers, and the people you seek advice from don't have the mind and heart of God, I think you are in danger of being led astray. But if those people give you godly advice, your roots can grow deep and your reach will be great. Life is all about relationships. And this morning, I want to consider the relationships and friendships that Jesus had. And I, I know that ancient Near Eastern culture was not like ours and relationships were different. And all, but let's just consider the relationships of Jesus. Jesus loved everyone. But Jesus didn't treat everybody the same. Jesus only recruited 12 men to be his disciples. 12. Not, not 25, not 50, not an army's worth. Just 12. And he related to three of them even more intimately. Peter, James, and John. And there's some evidence in scripture that Jesus related like a best friend to John. Scripture tells us, and John says, that he was the one that Jesus loved. He loved everyone, but he didn't treat everyone the same. Many times Jesus taught to huge crowds of people, and he healed their sick. He loved them. But there were also times where he stepped away from those crowds to be by himself, to be with the 12, or to be with the three he loved the religious leaders of his day, but he didn't ask any of them to be in his inner circle. They weren't in the 12, they weren't in the three. He guarded his relationships. Jesus loved everyone. He even loved Judas, one of the 12 who betrayed him, but he didn't treat everyone the same. We are called to show people Jesus, but our relationships with everyone is not the same. It doesn't have to be the same. Jesus' weren't. Your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. You can't live right with the wrong friends. Now, I'm going to take a guess. This is just a wild stab. But I'm going to guess that your friends aren't like drug kingpins, bank robbers, and murderers. Maybe a couple of your friends, but like by and large, not all your friends. You don't have to raise your hand or point any fingers. But my, my point is this. Does this apply to us? Like, really? If, if our friends aren't that bad, do we really need to define any of our relationships differently? I think so. 
In order to pursue God's best, in order to keep our values and our principles godly, in order to bring Jesus glory and not hinder showing other people Jesus, I think we need to redefine relationships of those inner circle of friends to guard our walk with Jesus. And I think two promises can help us decide whether or not those people fit into the, an inner circle that will guard us and take us deep with Jesus or ones that we need to reevaluate. Here's, here's the two promises. If you're taking notes, number one, I will never let my friends distract me from God's plan. Jesus actually called one of his friends on this. Uh, Jesus had been explaining what God's plan was for him. Uh, he was gonna go to Jerusalem. He was gonna die. Three days later, he was gonna be raised to life. And Peter, one of the 12, one of the inner three, said, absolutely not. Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. As one of Jesus' inner circle, Peter was not speaking God's plan into Jesus' life, and Jesus put him in his place. If Peter would not have surrendered his will to God's, I am sure he and Jesus would have had multiple conversations about this issue. In fact, Jesus and Peter had multiple conversations about this issue. And I am not suggesting that if somebody disagrees with you or speaks human plans that you call your friends Satan. That is not what I am saying. I am saying if somebody is not speaking God's plan in your life, in the inner circle of people that you let speak into your heart and your life, you may need to redefine that relationship. You may need to talk to them about it, call them on it, pray with them on it, but if they continue to resist God's plan in your life, you need boundaries in that relationship. I'm not sure how that specifically looks, but if you have a close friend who doesn't respect your pursuit of God's best, they probably don't need to be in your inner circle. If one of your friends trashes on their spouse all the time, and you go back home and you feel that there's this angst between you and your spouse, that relation, you can talk to them, you can pray, you can pray it doesn't spiral out of control, but that person may not need to be in your inner circle. I remember, I respect my father so much. Um, my dad worked at General Electric. Uh, if any of you guys work at a shop, you know that shops are places where trash gets talked all the time. And my dad had a really good friend and all I knew the guy by was Big Al. And Big Al, like, hated women. And he just trashed on women all the time. And my dad picked up phrases from Big Al. And I remember him coming to me and saying, you know what? I think I need not to be friends with Big Al because I'm starting to have feelings against your mom. And it's things that 
Big Al is putting in my head. If one of your friends isn't for God's image of marriage, maybe they don't need to speak into your life. If, if you're dating somebody that isn't respecting God's wishes, if they want to take your relationship places that only married couples should take, you can talk to them. You can, but if, if they're not in support of that, do you really think that person is someone you want to marry? If they're not in favor of you seeking God's best for your life now, do you think they will when you're married? Maybe. They don't need to speak into that inner circle of relationships. Maybe you need to redefine that relationship. As scary as that is, as hard as that is to do, I believe God will honor you if you do that. Second promise, if you're taking notes, I will not put myself in a place where my friends continually tempt me to sin. That is a huge promise to make to yourself. If your inner circle of friends leads you into a place where you are constantly tempted to sin, you might need to redefine that relationship. You need to take ownership of that. Hebrews 12.1 says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You know why sin so easily entangles? Because it's fun. And if, and if it wasn't fun when you did it, you did it wrong. Because sin is fun for a season. And then it's a trap. And it will drag you down and drag you away from your Lord. And drag you away and take from you more than you ever hoped it would take from you. It will rob you. It's fun for a season. Never, never be in that inner circle of relationships with a friend who continually puts you in a place where you have to guard against sin. That's not an inner circle relationship that you want. I have a, a good friend uh, named Tom, and I've mentioned Tom before. Tom and I hung around for the eight years that Tom was sober before I got moved to Erie, Pennsylvania as a pastor, and he moved to Montana. And when Tom moved out to Montana, uh, he was still sober. And Tom took a job driving truck for cores. I said, Tom, really? Do you really think you need to be working for a beer company, hanging out with those guys after work? I've got this. I've got it covered. Well, needless to say, Tom started drinking again. Big surprise, right? Because all his relationships were guys that drank for cores and drank the seconds after work. Doesn't matter what your sin is. Gutly, lust, pride, overspending. Don't put yourself in a position where you are constantly defending against sin. That's not an inner circle relationship you want. It doesn't mean you stop loving those people. It doesn't mean you're better than those people. It means that you know the temptations of your own heart and you know you can't have those people speaking into your life. You're called to show them Jesus. You love everyone. You speak truth. You show grace. You don't judge, but you guard the inner circle relationships that you have. 
We have to live with this tension. There will always be a, I need to show Jesus too, but I can't hang around kind of dynamic in our relationships. We need to guard and live with the tension. If you guard those relationships and put in those inner circle slots, people who love Jesus passionately, your roots in Christ will grow deep and your reach for showing people Jesus will be great. But the opposite is true. If you don't guard those relationships, your reach will be small. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this day, I wanna pray for my brothers and sisters that, that in their heart of hearts, God, they know that they need to redefine some of their relationships, some of their friendships. Some, some of those inner circle friends, God, speak things that are not of you. And I pray, God, that you would give people the strength and the courage to show love, to show people Jesus, but God, to guard against being led astray because bad company corrupts good character. And God, there's, there's others here this morning. Man, their inner circle of friends is godly. They're, they're on the right path. They're on that narrow road. But God, they're not, they're not taking the step to show people Jesus. God, make their reach great. Break their heart for people that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, as a church, find us faithful in both these things, connecting to brothers and sisters who will take us deeper, and God, connecting to the lost in ways that they see Jesus in us. And it is in your powerful and wonderful name we pray these things. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by Judas, whom he loved, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks to his father and he said, take, eat, all of you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he passed it around and they ate together. And they gained strength and wisdom and knowledge into the heart of God who loves us immensely. And he loves you. And he gave himself for you. When the supper was over, he took the cup. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. He loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done, how far you've strayed. He's there for you. He died for you because he loves you. God, we pray that this gift of cup and loaf would be for us the body and blood of Jesus Christ, that we would experience his love and his grace as we partake in this meal that helps us remember your sacrifice, as we receive the grace and the strength for this journey of life that all of us are on. And God, as we leave from this place, strengthened 
by your grace. May our roots grow deep and our reach be far as we show people Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.